0: Hi, I'm Keegan. This is GM Talks. We are joined by Jade, who is a player in the Werewolf the Apocalypse game that we currently are running, as well as running her own games online. Welcome, Jade. thanks for having me. So, we were just uh, talking a little bit. Uh, So we'll get some basics going, I guess. I know you're running uh, Werewolf, or sorry, not Werewolf Vampire now.
1: Yeah, Um, I now have my own uh, Vampire game which gets streamed on a Wednesday on a a channel that I'm part of uh, where we do lots of different tabletop games uh, five nights a week now. We started with one, we're now on five (laughs) and we have more to come so we're, we're slowly filling up our schedule. Um, and, and we're having to put stuff in the back burner because we haven't got days to run things anymore. <laughs> wow! So on top of the uh, on top of the one that I actually uh, solo run on a on a Wednesday, I also help run another vampire game on a Friday, which is about maybe four episodes before they have their finale. And I also help run another werewolf game on a Saturday. Um, where they've kind of just finished their first sort of like checkpoint shall we say where they've uh, cleansed a cone okay. of uh, black sparrow dancers. Okay
0: <laughs> it, that's uh, pretty impressive so I know it's V5 uh, did you start on V5 or which version of vampire did you start out on?
1: I uh, I started on V5 I've kind of had a look at the other versions but i i love v5 i think v5 is really well put together um it's really easy to follow as well um especially if you're brand new to world of darkness games um it, it's just laid out in such a nice way that you can make sense of it very easily uh, i think the one time i looked at um the other versions i was kind of like Ugh. There's a, there's a bit more here to digest, and I don't have the
0: uh, the brain power <laughs> to want to do it. That's fair. At least you have some experience with how that system, at least semi, runs now that you've played Werewolf for a bit too, because uh, you've got yeah. mine and uh, another Werewolf game.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're um they're they're very fun. <laughs> the uh, The one that I do with you is uh is hilarious, just because I I play. I play it in such a way that I'm like, I don't want to be here. Will you just let me go? <laughs> it's it's really interesting to see how how things have evolved from the game that you run uh, to the game that I co-run, um, and how the, my bunch of players are tackling things in a very different way. Um <laughs> that they there are a lot of uh thinking about it and and constantly asking help uh from ancestors and spirits and stuff like that and that they do lots of rituals there is about two rituals per episode so far
0: <laughs> oh wow yeah I was going to say how are the um I've been trying to inject the spiritual stuff but other people just weren't going for it as much or they think that it's exclusively for thirties, as you've yeah. heard them say, and I'm like, eh, not really, but okay.
1: Yeah, the um they, they I think they spent about three hours deciding who was going to be the alpha and they did it all very civilized, sat down, talked about it, they put names on a hat, they drew them out, and then they were like, okay, why do you why do you think person A should be you know, the alpha, why do you think person B should be alpha? And and they went about it and complimented each other on <laughs> why they would be a good leader. And I was sitting there going, fight. <laughs> fight
0: for it. it that's what um, happened with us. They became alphas, and uh, the character who went evil that you were introduced to, <laughs> while oh she was gosh. evil. <laughs> um, the... Uh, Cora became the alpha first, and she's like, "I'm gonna be the alpha. I'm the Arun. You know, fight me if you want." And so the Ragabash went, "Sure, I'll fight you for it." And it was just a thrash. (laughs) Like nothing less. uh, Sam only rolls well when she is hitting other party members, (laughs) (laughs) but she's hitting an actual
1: monster that's in front of her. (laughs)
0: Like when she (laughs) sorry. Like what, she's like, all right, attack this morning. I roll twelve dice, one. All right, punch roll. I'm <laughs> punch Roy. I'm rolling twelve dice. Eleven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's just it's Sod's law. It has to happen. It <laughs> makes it funny because like, why can I not roll this good when I actually need to? Why right. is it?
0: During the times that I don't want it to happen, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had it. That reminds me once of a D and D game where we had a cleric next to a gnomish rogue, and they were fighting uh, goblins. And he rolled three ones in a row, which I then dictated meant that uh, he had to roll against the he had to at- roll an attack roll on the player next to him which was the gnome and then he rolled a net he rolled two nat 20s and so he just and he rolled maximum damage at level one. Oh, no. and so he just and so he just takes this gnome out and the gnome rolls one failure and everyone's like okay that's one failure you fail again we'll do use healing magic on you because they're still in the middle of the fight rolls a one dies right there oh. And so he re rolls up a roguish halfling, and then they get to the kobolds. And because kobolds, we're using the general assumption that kobolds and gnomes don't get along. Yeah. And they negotiated the kobolds to leaving, becoming good, and starting a civilization away from people so that they weren't bothered and attacked. We retroactively changed that story to the cleric getting divine, uh, like a divine inspiration. So he's like, he just stands up and goes, I can see the future! Turns to the gnome and the gnome's just like, WHAT? I'M SORRY! <laughs> Smash! <laughs> that was how that story went.
1: Oh, beautiful. <laughs> uh, I love it when, uh, when there's PvP with players, because uh, <laughs> it, it generally, I'd say at least 75% of the time, results in uh, death
0: <laughs> for yeah. a player. Yes. At least in my experience, it has. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've, we've done it to where at least they're the formal cha- challenges in Werewolf, so someone steps and goes, whoa, stop. Yeah, we've... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if they've...
1: So, obviously, my uh, my, my brand-new fledglings from the, uh, the Wednesday group have yet to do any uh, form of combat uh, because they're being very... Uh, methodical about what they're doing, <laughs> um, also still not quite 100% sure that they're actually uh, kindred yet. Uh, whereas the the group of kindred I have on a Friday night, my goodness, they have exploded so many buildings and managed to cover it up to not break the masquerade that it, it shocks me. And then the the werewolf lot on, a, on the Saturday... Just spend a lot of time talking about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, where is the fighting? They did get into a bit of fighting um, the last two weeks because they were dealing with Black Spiral Dancer stuff. Um, and I am, um, I I can't wait until they realise. Well, actually no, they know. They've they've only taken care of half of a pack, and cleansed the Kern,
0: but the other half are still out there. So. That'll be real fun when they turn on. <laughs> Reoccurring NPCs and villains are the best.
1: <laughs> they are. Um, because the the Saturday and Friday games are in the same universe, it means we can reuse a lot of our NPCs, um, which has been real fun so far because uh, we've, we've reused Pentex uh, just a little bit. Okay. Um,
0: I was actually about to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you, like, for the vampire game, just show the mundanity of the Pentex, uh, subsidiaries? So, like, the vampires just go to an atollies, nothing supernatural happens there, they they fill up at Endron gas stations, nothing bad, nothing supernatural from their perspectives, and just, like, have it permeate the whole setting? Yeah,
1: the Friday Kindred group, um, they've not had to deal with a massive amount of, like, Pentex being right in their face. Mm-hmm. Um, what they have been dealing with is they have been dealing with Sabat, um, which have been trying to take over Birmingham City, uh, because that's that's a reoccurring uh, plot that has carried over from the charity live stream we did in November. Okay. <laughs> so that got carried over into uh, the Friday game, um, and they have been dealing with. They've they they been dealing with Cthune, <laughs> uh, Cthulhu, um, and they've also they've also kind of opened Pandora's box and started Gehenna. So not only have they got Gehenna trying to happen, they have Kafulu trying to happen, um, and they did have originally that the whole thing started with they were supposed to be looking after um, a coffin. Which was supposed to belong to Lilith oh, Jesus. and then and they and they lost it <laughs> so um, it turns out that whoever stole that uh, lovely casket containing supposedly lilith uh, had been drawing blood <laughs> from Lilith and putting it in energy drinks and then distributing it to the human population so anyone who's been drinking these energy drinks have essentially been getting what could only be described as a point of rage essentially and just annihilating people to death like around them wow um so they've they've had to deal with that and then and we were kind of like okay so that that'll be that and then they did more things and it was like okay okay right okay so now you now you have this to deal with you have Cain, who is actually actually trying to stop Cthulhu, because he wants Gehenna to happen. So he's trying to stop Cthulhu so he can have Gehenna. And they're trying to stop both of them.
0: <laughs> this sounds like an anime. It
1: it is pretty much like an anime. Um, and last week, yeah, last week, two of them, um, two of them kind of did some things which we had a checklist to say if they if they carry out this this and this and, and do all the checkpoints then they could possibly you know become exalted so one of them happened to become an abyssal exalted
0: oh christ
1: <laughs> because he made a deal uh he made a deal with the uh lady uh in the tear uh, the veil of tears um and then another one uh was off to go and look for a relic uh, set of rosary beads in a church um, and he thought that the person who was in the church who was supposedly a priest was a priest and so kind of just thought you know I'll just I'll just knock them out I'll, I'll just get rid of them and uh, that didn't happen it turns out it was the Archangel, uh, the Archangel Michael and they drank his blood <laughs> so we were like uh, well, we're going to have to exalt you to a solar now because you've just drunk an angel's blood. Good
0: job. You definitely go a lot more gonzo than I
1: do. We'll <laughs> say, yeah, we've we've got that whole mess going on, um, which, like I say, hopefully will be finishing up in the next couple of weeks because uh, there's not a, a great deal left for them to do. They, they've kind of got the things that they needed um, in order to stop... Cthulhu uh hopefully they can do that and then just I don't know they can leave Gehenna or somebody else I guess yeah <laughs> um whereas on the on the flip side on the the werewolf game um they've so far they've like i have say, they've they've dealt with um a current kind of black sparrow dancers um they've got some fear involved in this as well so um they're one of their um I think he's a third. Uh he was raised by uh, changelings, <laughs> so he's very much all about the Fae and all that sort of stuff. He's all very much for Fae, um, which is hilarious to watch when he interacts with the rest of his pack, because they're all sort of like, no, we don't like the Fae, stop involving the Fae, they're not the answer to everything, <laughs> and he seems to think otherwise. Oh. And they've had um, they've had bombs going off in uh, the the city that they're in uh, which they found out were to be pentex because it was really obvious when you know you kill somebody and then you find a business card on them that says pentex um and they've got a very different sort of thing in they don't have the they don't really have the option to exalt where we're not hoping to push them in that direction because once you've done it once you don't want to do it again it gets really boring and repetitive and yeah really obvious um so we've kind of thrown them a massive curveball and uh we they have the souls um they they're the reincarnation this pack specifically they're the reincarnation of some of the knights of the Round table that they found out last night um So because I have a character that plays in uh, both games as an NPC who is um, a Lunar Exalted um, who happens to be the reincarnation of King Arthur and uh, they made a vow to Luna the other week saying that they would exterminate all the Black Spiral dancers. I was like cool we can work with this so I jumped in as my NPC and sort of delivered the plot upon them. And I was like, so this is what's happening. You've said you're going to do this. I'm here to make sure that happens. By the way, this is where my kern was. And Cause we have this whole, again, backstory that goes back to uh, the original vampire game that I actually played uh, with the person that I co-run with, um, where we were saying that King Arthur uh, was a Lunar Exalted and that his knights to the Round Table were white howlers. Um and we we gave them a um, a vision last night to show them what happened when the white howlers all turned into black spiral dancers. So they, they're a little bit confused now. They're like, So are we are we white howlers? And they're like, No, no, you're you're still your own individual tribes. That doesn't change. They can't come back. <laughs> but they're like, Okay, cool. What do we do now I like, right, well we'll sort that next time yeah <laughs> so we, we, we finished the game and they were just kind of sat there going what hap- what 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 have you done to us
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, this has been planned since the beginning <laughs> I love when those moments happen
1: yeah they they got real excited afterwards after the the sort of confusion wore away uh, they were real excited, and they were like, oh my god, right? and then they were, like, looking up the, uh, the Court of Arms for each one of their supposed reincarnated souls. Um, we gave we gave, uh, the Furge who is all very much for the Changelings, we gave him Merlin's staff, because he does all of the rituals. Um, so he was a very happy person. Very nice. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how They progress um, and then I'm like super excited to see how my brand new fledglings on a Wednesday actually go ahead in that story. Um, And again, we're reusing some of the characters because we like to keep it all still within the same universe. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Because it just makes it easier that we're not having to come up with millions of characters and then getting lost. Because there's so many um, vampire and werewolf games that go on in our sort of like group. Um, that we don't want to lose track of which characters appear in which game, so we've made it in such a way that it's all very much the same universe, but maybe not the same timeline.
0: Okay, yeah, I was gonna say uh, how you keep that straight because actually this game you guys are in is, I've reused, because I built the Sept of the Green from the ground up uh, when I did that, uh, mostly because I didn't have Rage Across New York at the time, nor did I really look at the Sept of the Green too much in the back of the second edition werewolf book because I was using 20th at the time and I just didn't know, or really I just forgot that the Sept of the Green was back there. So I built it from the ground up and so all those characters made a reappearance in this game and actually uh, with Brennan, he comes back occasionally and plays an NPC version of his character from the last game at a snapshot of his life, but with different timelines, slightly to where they're not the main characters anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what we've done because <laughs> it makes life <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The uh, the Wednesday Fledglings, um, their story continues a year after the game that I played um so theirs is a direct continuation of that story Mm -hmm. whereas the Friday and Saturday group it's it dive the the timeline sort of spins off um quite early on in that story with those characters um so like my character and uh, my co-pilot's character they exist but not to the point where they were at the end of the story. They're, like, sort of... I'd say maybe halfway point in the story. So if I looked at the timeline, I've got one group that is right the way at the end and continuing that one timeline. And then the the Friday-Saturday group where they get sort of, like, halfway into the timeline and then it splits off. And that's their own timeline.
0: Yeah. Um, that makes sense. I like that a lot. Uh, you've already basically answered this question with your uh adding exalted's and things like that into your game but i was gonna say how much of the meta plot or the original meta plot do you uh pick and choose from and which parts do you like to adhere to and which parts do you just kind of throw out the window
1: um meta plot wise we we try to keep it pretty much on point um, with with the plot, so when we had the exalted uh, introduced in the original game, um, our game runner um, pretty much kept it to the whole point of you know you had the solars, you had the lunars, then you had the fall and everything, and and having the dragon blooded doing. The wild hunt um and having them locked away in the jade prison and then the whole thing with the abyssals and the sidreels we we tried to keep it really on point with what had been written um in the world of darkness um sort of like history and we kind of kept it again the same when we had the introduction of um the black spiral dancers and the whole the white howlers don't really exist anymore because they've been wiped out because they're Black spiral Dancers sort of thing um, and again with The Kindred uh, everything is kind of happened as it has been written again um, there are like a slight few changes but nothing major like we haven't turned around and said um, like I, one of the antediluvians still exists for example or anything like that Okay. Um, if 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 it's written that it like they don't exist, then we try not to put them in, um, okay. just to try and keep a steady stream um, for storytelling purposes.
0: That makes sense. Um, yeah, because the current game you're in, there is a white howler now, or maybe he's getting trained.
1: <laughs> he's getting trained. We do have one white howler um, that exists in uh, in the the cross universe of our games. Um, but he doesn't come up that often, I'd say. <laughs> Although, no, actually, yeah, he has—he hasn't really come up that much. Um, he appears here and there occasionally, but he's not a reoccurring character that happens that often. Uh, compared to some of the AMPCs that they interact with.
0: Yeah, I um, yeah, he—the one in ours—is he. Is alive and not a spiral as a direct uh, cause of uh, Famori's bane getting involved. So yeah. that was a nice one. There was also a uh, clever use of uh, mind speak in that one. So, how do you? Um, is there any kind of concerns? Do you do you keep notes since there's a lot of this expanded universe stuff that you're doing, where you're afraid an NPC something major happens to the NPC in one timeline that. Is kind of impossible to happen in the other, and how do you keep those separate in your notes and in your mind? Because I could see myself at least mixing things up.
1: Yeah, I have um, <laughs> I have a shelf of notebooks, um, and I kind of have them separated out. Uh, I have one way wo- I have one book which is specifically to do with um, Vampire the Masquerade stuff. Um, And that's kind of split into different sections so that I can make small notes of things that have happened. But uh, we don't really have a lot of the NPCs where one thing has happened um, that couldn't happen in in another time or place. Um, Because we've got the slight um, break in the original timeline um we we've made it in such a way that the Gehenna that happened in the main timeline which was caused by my character and another uh character because our game master was a freaking genius and took the book of nods and really did put it perfectly um word for word what was going to happen Um, and how it was going to happen and I was just like there's no way there's no way that can happen Um, but he managed to make it work in such a way that we got the Gehenna to happen (laughs) even though we tried not to Um, but because we have the the separate timeline and and the way that it's currently going with that bunch of uh, kindred dealing with uh, Cthulhu um, and possible Gehenna um, we, we just kind of make a note to say that okay you know this is how it's going to happen um, there is no there is no actual way for certain NPCs from the other timeline to not have what happened to them happen or, or vice versa uh, in the new timeline we just try to make a very brief note to say make sure this thing doesn't happen and if it looks like it's going to happen We kind of tried steer it ever so slightly, but not to the point where we're saying to a player, no, you can't do that. Okay. I was like looking at my notebooks there like, yeah, that's right. I do have the one. (laughs) (laughs) I have a very large shelf of notebooks uh, and and suddenly got real confused. I was like, why can I see more than one of that book? But I really need to label them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That brings me to the next question, then. How do you take notes for your games? Uh, What do you do? What do you prioritize? Uh, How do you plan for your games?
1: Oh, boy. Um, I write plot and then immediately throw it in the bin about five minutes later. (laughs) Uh, Because players are players. And uh, I've been dealing with uh, writing LARP plot for about four years now. Um, where we we write stuff and then quite literally at the game the player will do something and we're like well we didn't expect that to happen so now we have to uh, completely rewrite everything to the point where in one game we actually had to rewrite history because of something a player did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so I if I'm writing the plot uh, I try to keep a, a a vague idea of what I want them to try and accomplish, the, the kind of places I want them to go with a story, but I leave it very open-ended for them to be able to make their own decisions, um, and I'm very good at improvising on the spot with, okay I wasn't expecting you to do that, but I can work with it, and being able to give them uh, enough of a, a story from their actions. Um, it also really helps if you know your players um because all of my players are really good long-term friends um i can anticipate a lot of the time what they're going to do um there are possibly a handful of times where they have thrown me a curveball and i've gone i did not expect that or foresee that so i will give them like i'll say you know give me give me a couple of minutes i'm just gonna delve into the book of notes and just see if i potentially prepared something in the worst case scenario Um, but I've gotten very used to having these players um, do the exact sort of thing I would expect them to do so I've gotten very used to the werewolf group spending a lot of time talking about something rather than fighting something (laughs) so when they when they actually take violence as the option it's like oh okay not expecting that one, but I have something planned just on the off chance. Um, it's the same with the, the kindred lot. I'm always expecting them to blow something up because that's their answer to everything. <laughs> um, so there's there's little notes everywhere and each character has their own little notes to say that they might want to do this sort of thing or they might want to do this sort of thing. And it's almost like having a hierarchy and just having a bunch of lines that go down saying, well, if they do this, then this is going to happen. But if they do this, this is going to happen.
0: Okay. Yeah, my, my go-to strategy now, and I've said it before on here, is just I write the end state of if they don't get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and then just kind of adjust from there.
1: Yep. Um, we We had it... For the Friday lot, that uh, if they didn't get all the relics and craft the bell, uh, that it would then become the werewolf group on a Saturday's problem. So they'd still have to deal with it. (laughs) But they would either be kindred or guru. So in the end of the day, they they don't get away with it because it is the exact same universe. um, And it is happening at the exact same time. They're
0: just in different cities. Got it. Uh, speaking of improvisation, then, uh, do you think that is a skill that has to that can only be gained through practice, or do you have any sort of advice for anyone listening as to how to improve their improvisation skills for being a GM?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, improv is definitely a a really useful thing to have if you are running. Um, any form of tabletop game Um, because like I've said before you can't always guarantee that a player is going to follow the story that you have wrote you always have to be prepared to know that there is always going to be maybe one or two players who divulge from the path that you want them to take and you can't you can't turn around and, and say no you can't do that because that's A terrible thing for a GM to do Um, you have to give them the freedom to be able to make their own choices so by having the ability to to do the improv you're opening up the world for your players and you'll find that your players are are more interactive and engaged and thankful that you've allowed them to do something I got a lot of my improv skills um, from years of doing uh, theatre and drama um, and because I've spent about at least a decade <laughs> as a cosplayer and a LARPer um, where there's obviously no, there's no script. You just kind of have to go off and act how you want to act um, and reactively act reactively act towards um things that are happening in front of you. I would say the best thing to do to practice that sort of thing is see if you can find like local uh local amdram societies uh local theatre groups. I know right now it's a bit difficult with the current situation in the world um but being able to go and gain some performance skills can really help with being able to tell a story. Um, Also doing some creative writing can help as well. Um, If you can write a story, then you're halfway there to being a DM, Um, being able to prepare a world for people um, and being able to change it quickly on the fly. Um, are, the, are the things that really do make a, a good DM. You don't need to know the rules, 100%. Um, because every everybody uh, who runs games will play them slightly different. And you know, you'll have your own house rules. So you don't have to worry about being perfect with the rules. But if you don't have a, a great story and you can't react quickly when a player does something that you weren't expecting... Um it can really throw the game off. Uh, it can it can make it so your players don't quite feel like they're actually part of the game. Um, and for a lot of tabletop players, uh, immersing yourself in that world uh, is a huge thing uh, it it's an escape for a lot of people. So if you can't if you can't produce that world for them that for them to believe in, then you're not doing a, a very good job of being a Games Master. All right.
0: Um, That leads to the next question. You touched upon it a little bit in your last answer, but how do you think playing in LARPs has affected your play style at the table as a GM and a player?
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Player-wise, for (laughs) LARPing, um, if I get to physically be at a table with people, They will realize that I will, majority of the time, try and put some kit on to pretend that I'm that character. (laughs) Um, Which I think really helps get you in the mindset of a character. Um, I also tend to put on, uh, if I can, I try to put on an accent so that I can, again, believe that I'm more of that character. Um, The the LARPing is, is basically just playing a tabletop game. But you're actually out in the public doing it. Well, I say in the public. You're out on a, on a field or in a forest um, pretending to do it. And you're also not having to roll dice. And, um, which would be really interesting, now that I come to think of it, if you involved dice in an actual lab game. <laughs> be, a bit, be a bit long-winded when it came to combat. But um, the, the labbing definitely has helped for a, a point of view of becoming a character. Um, But I'd I'd say that equally doing a lot of drama and theatre as a kid also helped um, because I'm very used to sort of almost dropping who I am as a person and then becoming someone else. Um, So I have characters who are very upbeat and bubbly and and happy-go-lucky and will run towards anyone and shake their hand. Well, I have characters who are very scared and, and don't want to do any fighting and run away from the fights. And then I have like characters who are very angry all the time and don't trust anyone. And they're all sort of characters that I've picked up uh, from doing LARP games. Okay. In, in the flip side of how has it helped with me uh, being a storyteller and stuff, the actual playing... Um, LARP games hasn't helped me so much but the running of LARP games has because I've had to write the plot and obviously what sort of items they might find in the game Um, because I run uh, well I help run rather than I solo run because that would be ridiculous (laughs) Um, but because I help run a medium-sized system with about 50 players uh, we give them all um, personal downtime responses um and we try to when we're actually at the game we try to interact with each and every one of them personally so that they get out of the game what they want to achieve as their characters and that that requires again a lot of being able to just think rapidly on the spot of how would you respond to this person asking a question um the story writing for it um because it's about how many years we've been running now, four years I think we've been running. Um, The story was kind of wrote right at the beginning, and -hmm. then every game that's happened, whatever the players have done has affected that story. So bit by bit, we've taken bits out and gone, well, this is how the players have dealt with it. So this is how it's going to go. And as I mentioned previously, at one event, they rewrote history. And so we actually rewrote the history. Um, and a nation that didn't exist in the previous timeline then existed again (laughs) because of something they did in the past so it's one of those things where again you have to be reactive to what your players are doing and that's a skill that has really helped with doing the tabletop games because players are players and they will ruin your plot within five minutes (laughs) it is Guaranteed and proven to happen time and time again.
0: Absolutely. Uh, the current group uh, was getting pretty easy to predict. I did throw in the new new curveballs, so to speak, with you three who joined in. This has been interesting. Which has been Such interesting. Has been <laughs> interesting. Uh, how do you think the UK's gaming culture differs from the US's gaming culture, at least from what you've experienced in my game, which you've probably seen on Twitch and YouTube.
1: Yeah, uh, the main point is when we run games, they're all set in Britain. They're very rarely sitting anywhere else and vice versa. Uh, I've noticed that a lot of Americans running games will run them in their home state because that's what they know. Um, it's very easy to run a game uh, in a place that you know, because you can describe it a lot easier. Um, you know, for us, if we were trying to run a game that was set somewhere in America, oh boy, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> 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 Short the, of the basics, I the trees I are be
0: enormous. <laughs> Everything's yeah. big. Yeah, Your yard is able- massive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i wouldn't be able to say right well it's on this street because i don't know I, i'd have to get a google map up and then zoom right in and go okay you're here and then send it to them um, I- <laughs> whereas whereas if obviously we run games uh, it's a lot easier for us to to do them in our hometowns um uh, because we can describe them a lot better and then your players will also know where they are game wise um so they can plan How they're gonna act a a bit better. Um, Aside from that, um, I think I've noticed that some, uh, for example, some Americans who stream uh, Vampire the Masquerade tend to be a lot darker, but that could just be me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Whilst it's called a world of darkness, uh, there are some levels of darkness that we do not like to plummet into. a lot of a lot of our games, because they're run uh, played by British people, you'll find that the characters are very stereotypical British people. Oh. Um, <laughs> if you haven't guessed by my tea drinking and bacon eaten in uh, in your game. Um, other than that, I can't say that I've noticed a big difference. Uh, everyone obviously sticks to sort of the the same ideas uh, when it comes to games. Um, the only thing that obviously I could say different is I find it real shocking if I was playing, uh, for example, a werewolf game, um, and suddenly you threw upon me the fact that, you know, we were knights of the round table. I find it real strange that you put an Arthurian legend in there, (laughs) considering it's a British thing, uh, more than anything. So I think it just varies, uh, on location but game wise um and mechanics I'd say everyone tends to be the same
0: okay that's fair uh, actually fun fact the uh, the previous camp werewolf campaign I did before this one was not in my home state we did it in New York City the whole time <laughs> that was our home <laughs> sept
1: yeah but it was it was still it was still America
0: oh yeah obviously yeah. Uh, I think part of that was just Werewolf, especially before twentieth came came out, was very uh, very American centric.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've I found that a lot of the games that do get um, put up on YouTube or on Twitch uh, do tend to be very American based. But that's almost like saying a lot of movies tend yeah. to be American based. That's it just that's... it's just
0: one of those things that happens, really. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's completely fair um no oh, excuse me how do you handle i guess uh the diversity of your worlds so uh, if you do or is that something you're con you consciously attempt to uh inject into your games um
1: diversity wise hmm i'm trying to think if we've had any like major issues with diversity i don't think we have um we have we've for example, one of our characters um, on the Wednesday game um, is a, a person of colour, uh-huh. um, which we we kind of ummed and about about um, because of the whole Black Lives Matter um, campaign that's that's going on. We didn't want it to to come across in the wrong way, but when we sat down and discussed the character and how we thought we'd envision the character. It just made sense, Um, and I I said to the the player, um, you know, it's up to you if you want to change their design. But honestly, I think changing that character to be another white character would actually be more harmful. Um, I think it's nice to show that just because you are a white person or a person of colour doesn't mean you can't play another person of colour, or a white character, or or a transgender character, a gay character, or anything like that because, you know, we're all human at the end of the day and as long as we're not doing it in a disrespectful way, as long as we're not um, showing any maliciousness with it, um, I think it's nice to celebrate that we can be anything we want to be in these games. we have a um, in an upcoming uh, Vampire the Masquerade game that we're going to be playing on the Friday once the current one is finished. Um, one of our characters um, is a transgender gangle, um, and that's because the person who is playing them is transgender and they they wanted to play a transgender character. Um, and likewise, we've we've had characters who are gay characters, but not necessarily that the person playing them is gay, they just want to represent um, a different diversity. You know, they they want yeah. to be able to to celebrate that not everything is black and white, <laughs> so to speak. You know, yeah. we don't all have to be one thing. Um, this is a, a creative place and it's a safe place, especially when we're at the table. Um, everything that happens Um, if something is going to happen that possibly someone's not comfortable with, we discuss it. Uh, Very similar how you asked um, me and you asked the rest of the players, was there anything that we did not want to happen? And, you know, you you made a note of that. Um, it's the same with, you know, do you, are you okay with us having characters in that represent uh, a certain dynamic? Um... As long as you respect that um, and respect the players, um, I think it's nice to have that sort of representation.
0: Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, Things I need to get better about is sometimes explicitly saying it though, because especially in America, the default assumption is white. Mm -hmm. And uh, like for some characters, it's it's significantly more obvious than others like Teresa, Fate Dancer Valdez, is, clue, uh, is of uh, Native Hispanic origin and regender is of Indian descent. But yeah. uh, things that I haven't made explicit, but in my mind I had already made and I just simply hadn't said them out loud, is, about, is most of the glasswalkers in the Sept of the Steel Mountain are uh, black Americans, actually. And most of the stargazers come from a variety of asian cultures
1: yeah it's it's one of those it, you either announce it or you 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 don't announce it um but it is it is nice to be able to like i say represent everyone uh and not just do the the standard straight white characters
0: <laughs> exactly. It, exactly It's, it's a,
1: it's the same in the uh, it's the same in the LARP community. It's the same in the cosplay community. You can't turn around and tell somebody that they can't play, uh, or they can't cosplay uh, a certain character because that character is uh, white and you're Asian, for example. Yes. Um, so what? Uh, and that that in theory should ring true for tabletop, just because you are a, uh, you know, a person of color. Doesn't mean you can't play a bisexual, you know, white person.
0: Absolutely. Uh, There's a great article. I posted it to the Facebook page and I I should dig it up again at some point and post it periodically. It's an article of how to play uh, other races respectfully. Yes.
1: Yeah. Because I think I've run into my fair share of people who have played races, for example, and. It's very insulting and I, I've I've had to actually uh one of them was in one of the LARP games I run and I actually had to turn around and go Please make a new character because you are being very disrespectful to this, you know, race of Yeah people essentially. Um and, and they did. they made a new character and I was like, please never do that again. If you do it again in this game, you are banned.
0: Yeah. And I think at least a lot of people, myself included, in our past, we have made unfortunate caricatures, witting or unwitting. Uh, I like to think unwitting most of the times, but you know, the growing out of that is something that needs to be like, hey, look, just cause you did it in the past doesn't mean you can't play a person of color in the future, but you need to be aware of those biases and you need to do it right this time. Absolutely. Um, I
1: I think that sort of harkens back to, for example, uh, Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons obviously looking at a lot of their races and uh, making changes.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm glad that they're finally addressing it, though. Twitter has been kind of going off on uh, the two creators that are left, the two creators who aren't Mike Merles about it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those. It's... Things that were deemed acceptable, um, you know, back in the day, uh, obviously aren't acceptable. I mean, they weren't really acceptable back in the day, but they weren't they weren't frowned upon as much. Uh, it's like the whole the whole thing with uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of it in America, but we had the whole issue with they took Little Britain off Netflix um, because uh, the the creators um, and performers in that uh represented i think it was some people of color in a very not nice comical way shall we say
0: yeah no i, I understand but, it's it's like wb pulling uh gone with the wind from hbo max just to put a uh, contextual exp- explanation at the beginning
1: unfortunately we can't go back in time and change um pre-recorded films and programs that uh might be offensive in this day and age.
0: Uh, I saw a really interesting one, Um, at least regarding Gone with the Wind, is it was actually offensive in its age as well. Um, There were people of color who protested it because they had the the good old days of slavery sort of vibe about it, but because the media didn't focus on those voices, that kind of got jumbled in history. And I hope the WB explanation actually points to that as well. Yeah
1: it's it's a lot easier uh, now for people to protest um, and get their point across um, with the internet and and all the forms of social media that we have. It's very easy now to say that we don't like something Um, whereas back in the day you had Letters. (laughs) Letters. <laughs> that was the extent you could do a protest. You could write to the st- to the the studio, for example, the the TV production company, and say, "We don't approve." But yeah. that would be it, um, and and you wouldn't know about it. You wouldn't know that somebody is protesting something. Whereas now, you know about it instantly. If if there is a big protest happening, you know because it is everywhere. Exactly.
0: So I'm getting close, but I wanted to ask a couple more uh, werewolf questions. <laughs> favourite tribe to storytell and what favourite tribe to play? Ooh.
1: Favourite uh, favorite to play? Clearly Fianna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I'm biased or anything. Um, and I'd say favourite to storytell for?
0: Oh boy. Red Talon. I'm with you on that. That's my favorite as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really like Red Talon. And they're they're one of the ones that I'm kind of... For the next time that I get to play a Werewolf game, they're one of the ones I'm looking to play.
0: Very cool. Uh, So we'll go with the uh, the big question now, the final question. Uh, If money, time, resources, players was not an issue... What would be your dream game to run? Ooh,
1: um, my dream game to run. Real difficult when I (laughs) have my finger in so many pies. (laughs) Um, I honestly, I would love to run If, if all of those things were not an issue. I would love to run a week long. Um, Vampire, the Masquerade game, and do the week of nightmares.
0: Nice. Uh, that that does sound my if fun.
1: If I could have uh, players um, and and a place to do it in, um, and for example, we could all get paid um, annual leave for a week, so that nobody was actually missing out on on work. I would I would run. Uh, the week of nightmares for an entire actual week and then do day by day what is happening uh, and try and run it for as long as possible with basically just having the break to go to bed for like seven to eight hours (laughs) that would be
0: that would definitely be the dream that that shit I might have a new dream Uh, (laughs) though I think uh, currently it's still crisis on infinite games Ooh, that is also a good one damn yeah <laughs> well uh we're towards the end of the recording here so for myself and brennan who wasn't here we're gonna say goodbye thank you jade for showing up thank you very much it was an absolute blast is there any place on social media that uh, people should know where to find you uh, yeah, uh,
1: you can find my Twitter, which is under uh, Emrys Costumes, I believe, on the uh, on the twitters. I'm now just double checking. Yes, I'm right. So it's Emrys Costumes on Twitter. Um, and then for uh, Twitch, I have my own personal channel, which is Emrys Plays, and the uh, big group that I'm part of for the tabletopping, which is Heavyweight Gaming. Perfect.
0: All right. And with that, you can find us on YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcasts. We have a Facebook group, but you will never find me on Twitter. Unlike Jade, I find it cesspool. Thank you. Bye.